biggest surprise I have had in three years. Bloody bit me. Well, good morning, West. It is good to be with you today. I shared with Andrea earlier that every time I speak, I'm nervous. But there's something about her being here today that makes me just a little bit more nervous. So, because <laughs> she's a great preacher. So, um, and, and I guess I have this irrational fear that she's going to come down from there and run me off the stage if I make a mistake. But it'll all be good. So it is great to be back with you. I always love when I get to come and worship with you. I, I do that a lot online, but it's um, wonderful to be able to come and share with you today as we continue in this message service, message, message series. See, I've already made a mistake. Um, but a message series about viral videos. And think about how Jesus's life went viral 2,000 years ago, but continues to be real and relevant for us today as Jesus reconciles us with, with God and with one another, as, as Jesus makes sure that we know that even those who think they're unlovable are loved by God through him. And as Jesus opens wide his arms to welcome everyone um, into a relationship with Christ to fulfill their lives, uh, to make people feel peaceful and joyful and, and full of love. This morning, what we're going to talk about is, is that component of, of Christ's ministry that, that brought about redemption for all of us. And, and I was thinking about that. Um, the definition of redemption is to purchase or get back something we lost. To purchase or get back something we lost. And, and I want to look at that today and, and how that applies to our lives. And I was thinking about purchasing and, and getting back. And, and now I'm going to date myself. I, I thought about um, these stamps. And clap if you know what they are. All right. <laughs> There are people out there that are as old as me. Um, but these are S&H green stamps, aren't they? And they were the first kind of redeemable stamp that you got for purchasing something that would then get you something else. Um, they were provided by the Sperry and Hutchison Company, who was named for Thomas Sperry and Shelley Byron Hutchinson, who began green stamps back in 1896. Now, I wasn't around then, but... Um, <laughs> But they became popular in the United States in the 1930s. And um, what, what people would do would be get these stamps when they purchased something, and then they would paste them in booklets. They were like the old-fashioned kind of postage stamps where you had to wet the back and paste them in the book. And then when you got so many books, you'd go to the catalog or go to the redemption store, and you'd get to get something neat. You know, it's estimated that 80% of households collected S&H green stamps um, at some point when they were in their heyday. And you know, I don't really remember my parents um, collecting them, but I do remember that each and every time I went to visit my grandparents, there would be this drawer in their foyer, and that drawer was stuffed full of S&H green stamps. 
And it was my job and my brothers and sisters' job to take the stamps and to paste them in books. I think that's a way that my grandmother decided it would keep us quiet. And so we'd fill all our books and then she'd let us look at the catalog and, and dream about what we might want to get. But I have to share with you that um, she was a part of the greatest generation. So usually what she ended up getting was something really practical. And that was pretty disappointing to us. But at its core, um, what redemption is, is about getting something back. And, And so as I was trying to think of a modern day example, here's the best one I could think of. And that is that we offer money for these in order to um, get the songs we want as we use these iTunes gift cards. How many of you have redeemed those? Clap if you've done that. They do get redeemed pretty quickly in my house and get used up pretty quickly as well. But it's about trading something that's not quite so good, a a book full of stamps or or a plastic card for for something that's much better, that's that's more fun, that's more enjoyable, that's, that's more meaningful. So I want you to watch for a minute in this viral video about what three year old Matthew is after that he thinks would be more enjoyable for him. Like, I'm, listen to me, listen to me. Like, like I do this all the time. And if I go out at the, at the house with the door, Matthew has his toys. And then Matthew has all his toys. Okay, but I have to yell at you guys. Linda, listen, listen, listen. Listen, listen, Linda. Listen. Okay, what? Like, everything they do at this house, they can't trust everything at Grandma's house. Okay. Okay, then what? Then you're not listening to me. Then you're not listening to me. I asked you not to do something. Linda, but listen to me. Look at If we do something, if you get that out, that bird thing off, you're going to break it. Okay, but I'm asking, I'm letting you know but that you cannot. You know, Linda, no, Linda, I'm. Li- look it, look it. You're not listening to me. Linda, listen to me now. Listen to me now. No, you're not listening. I said no cupcakes. And you try to get cupcakes and you try to ask grandma. Linda, Didn't you? Linda, lick it, lick it, lick it. If we do something right out, just if we, if we get close up, you can't even get them. You're going to burn your butt. What's going to burn your butt? Linda. You and Kevin don't listen. So I have to give both of you guys pop pals in your butt. But Linda, but grandma. But Grandpa's going to give you peppers in the butt. No, he's not. Yeah. I have to. You want? You don't want me to hit Kevin or you don't want him to spank you? No. Why? Because anybody oh, wants to spank me. Then I have to spank Kevin. But he's my little pop-ups. He's your little pop-ups, but he doesn't listen. But Linda, honey, honey, look at, look at this. Right now, you can't do anything if we can't get everything out of the wall. If we're going to break everything down. I'm not breaking anything down. I'm just letting you know Linda, you cannot it, have it, cupcakes it, for dinner. It, Linda, Linda, like this thing, I never belong to you. Anything, you can't get anything and anything and anything. I'm done arguing with you. I'm not making it you. You need to listen to the things that I say because I'm the mom and I'm the adult. Linda, look at, listen to me. All the time to get them the, the, this thing, this, this, this thing. The, the I'm done arguing with you. Linda, I'm done arguing with you.
three-year-olds. But did you hear what he wanted? He wanted a cupcake, and when his mom said no, he decided he'd go to grandma. And, and what I learned later was that he even went to grandma and, and tried to get the cupcake in Spanish because he thought his mom wouldn't understand that. <laughs> but you know, in a, in a very simple way, I think this video um, talks about and illustrates why we need to talk about redemption in the first place. And let's think about that in terms of our lives of faith. If we look at the words of, of scriptures, this wonderful book of books that describes to us who God is like and what faith in God is like, we learn at the very beginning that God created each and every one of us in the image of God. And in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, um, that truth is taught by telling the story of Adam and Eve who were created in the image of God and put into a very lush garden who were able to communicate and did so freely with God, who enjoyed and appreciated the plants and the animals and the trees and the birds and the fish, who, who got along well with each other, and who even felt really good about themselves. But as the story goes on, it tells us that, that there was one limit that God placed upon Adam and Eve. And that limit was that they weren't to eat from the fruit of a particular tree in the garden. That was the only limit that God gave to them. And yet Adam and Eve thought that they knew better than God. And so they ate of the fruit and they had to face the consequences. The consequences were that they became scared of God and hid from God. They began to blame one another. Oh, he made me do it, and she made me do it, and the, the serpent made me do it. They, they didn't appreciate creation as much. They, they felt shame and embarrassment for the first time in their lives. And ultimately, ultimately, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden in short, disharmony became the norm. While they'd been, been created for harmony with God and with others and with creation and with themselves, disharmony, when they disobeyed God, became the norm. Little Matthew didn't want to live within his mother's limits. And as you heard, then punishment ensued. And I like to picture it this way. That what Adam and Eve did was that they replaced God as the center of their lives with themselves, with their wants, and with their desires. And while they thought that that would be okay and that it would be kind of an even exchange, what it actually did was it left an emptiness. It left a hole deep inside of them because that was, that was a part in them that needed to be filled by God. And the same is true for us. And I think when we do that, when we replace our, the God inside of us with our wants and desires, we have that emptiness. And, and then we spend most of our lives trying to fill that emptiness, filling it with power and prestige. If I only can climb the ladder high enough, if I only can achieve this, then, then I'll be worthy. Or by gaining lots of stuff. We fall prey to that adage that the one that dies with the most toys wins. And we think that's going to fulfill the emptiness inside of us. 
I think that explains, at least in part, our opioid epidemic right now is, is people try to numb that emptiness that they feel. And it, and it may even explain why we become so addicted to social media as somehow that connection or um, maybe even false connection makes us feel like we're fulfilling it inside of us. I know for me in my life, I continue to struggle with different things that I use to, to feel that emptiness. Sometimes it's work. That if I can just take on a little bit more and, and do a little bit more and, and achieve a little bit more and please more people, then, then maybe I'll feel good about myself. Or, or if that doesn't work, then oftentimes it's food that, that I can just stuff those feelings down. And yet it doesn't work, does it? And what redemption is, is redemption is, is reversing that order. It's moving myself out of the way and allowing God to fulfill me, to fill that emptiness inside of me. And oh, how I wish it was a one-time thing. We could all do it right now and then go out and live happy and fulfilled and joyful lives. But it doesn't work that way, does it? Rather, redemption is a lifelong process. A lifelong process of confessing, of of telling the truth about um, the things that we do that are selfish and self-centered. We call that sin. And then receiving God's forgiveness. Receiving God's unconditional love, God's love and completeness. So that step by step, little by little, that emptiness goes away. And we grow into the people that God created us to be. You know, in Old Testament times, the times before Jesus, the the people had to figure out a way to to deal with their sin, to deal with those things that were selfish and self-centered. And so what they decided they would do is that they would sacrifice either plants or animals before God as kind of a a temporary sacrifice, as, as a temporary way to redeem themselves so that God would love them and God would be with them once again. Now, as they did that, and as they would go to the temple to make those sacrifices, they knew deep in their hearts that they were temporary because the people were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for the one that would come and once and for all offer the sacrifice that would redeem them from their sins. And as Jesus was born and began to to minister on this earth, as as the early followers began to know that he was the Messiah, what they did was they transferred that understanding onto Jesus. And many of us were taught all throughout our lives that that Jesus had to pay the ultimate sacrifice, that it, it was his blood that paid the penalty for our sins. I remember growing up, and, and still sing it sometimes in different churches with that hymn, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. What Can Make Me Whole Again? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And I think there are many people that still believe that that's all that Jesus' death and resurrection was about. But this morning, I want to suggest that it was so much more than that that it was actually so much more positive than that. That that redemption wasn't just about some heroic sacrifice by Jesus to earn God's love for all of us. 
As if somehow God had stopped loving us and Jesus had to be killed, nailed to a cross, a a painful, horrible death in order to convince God to love us once again. I love what Richard Rohr, or the way Richard Rohr describes it, that, that Jesus didn't come into the world to change God's mind about humanity. Jesus didn't need to, to change God, that, to change God's mind that, that we were to be loved, but rather Jesus came into the world to change humanity's mind about God. That we might come to remember that God was loving, that, that God desires relationship with us, that it was actually God, a relationship with God that we were created for. Jesus came into the world to remind us that God wants to be in relationship with us, that God loves each and every one of us unconditionally, and especially those who feel the most unlovable. You know, I think we forget oftentimes as, as we remember the life and teachings of Jesus, that Jesus didn't come into this world and begin to count what everybody did right and what everybody did wrong. He didn't come to determine who was in and and who was out. He didn't come to judge whether you were okay or whether you weren't okay. He didn't come to bring punishment upon the world. Rather, the the Gospels, those first four books in the New Testament that that describe to us Jesus' life relate that he did things like this. Like one day he met a woman who who clearly was having some trouble with relationships. She'd been married four times and she was now living with a fifth man. And she was pretty miserable. And Jesus didn't condemn her. He didn't cast her aside, but he he introduced her to a love that would fill her and a love with which she could share with that person that she wanted to spend the rest of her life with. Or another time, Jesus happened upon a a woman who was about to be stoned because she'd committed adultery. It's it's the verse you're going to learn this week. And Jesus rescued her by saying to those who were ready to stone her, who had the stones in their hands and they were going to pelt her with them, but you who is without sin, cast the first stone. And after everybody had dropped their stones and walked away, Jesus said, I don't condemn you. And then he loved her. He loved her into a new way of being. There was another time that he met a a short tax collector who felt pretty small and and lonely, but thought he could be big by, by cheating people out of their money. And yet after a dinner with Jesus, good old Zacchaeus learned that really, True joy comes when you give yourself away, when you give yourselves to others. Jesus also told stories that illustrated this point. We, we know the one well about, about the young boy who decided he was going to disown his family because he knew that he could do it better than they did. And so he went away to, to make a name and, and a living for himself. And yet when his life imploded on him and all he could think to do was to slink home and beg for mercy. His father welcomed him with open arms. And he learned that his mistakes didn't define him. That in God's eyes, 
he always would be valued and loved. And at the end of his life, as Jesus hung on the cross between two thieves, one of the thieves said to Jesus, Jesus, would you remember me? And then let's look at what happened. Let's look at this scripture from Luke 23. One of the criminals hanging alongside cursed him and said, some Messiah you are, save yourself, save us. But the other one made him shut up. Have you no fear, no awe of God? You're getting the same as him. We deserve this, but not him. He did nothing to deserve this. And then he said, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said, don't worry, I will. For today, you will join me in paradise. Even in his very last moments, he was seeking to love people. To love people into a better and eternal way of life. And you know, as a brief aside, I've been a little bit frustrated and made a little bit crazy this week after we heard of the death of Stephen Hawking. As I've listened and watched on social media, as, as folks um, have pronounced pretty clearly that they don't believe that Stephen Hawking is in heaven. And I want to point him to the scripture and say, how dare you? How dare you try to judge that? How dare you think you can make that kind of pronouncement? And I also think that we in the church need to actually ask Stephen Hawking for forgiveness. Because we're the ones that, that talk so much about that science and religion are, are mutually exclusive. And I can imagine in doing that in the way we condemned scientific research that it wasn't faithful that it made it really hard for Stephen Hawking to believe. But you know, like that thief on the cross, I trust that in his death, he had an encounter, an encounter with the risen Christ. The risen Christ who, who came to once and for all undo those notions of animal sacrifice and replace them with Unconditional love. Because you see, that's what we give up. Unconditional love when we take God out of the center of our lives and, and replace it with ourselves. Yeah, my friends, that's what each one of us was created for. To be loved. To be filled with the gracious love of God. And it's when we experience that love that we're redeemed. Let's watch for a moment as we watch a story or hear a story about Lisa Harper's redemption. I didn't know that I would find myself in one of my own stories. I think I always believed so much more redemption for everybody else. My name is Lisa Harper and I tell stories for a living. I write very mediocre books, uh, most of which are stored in my mother's basement. I was abused when I was a little girl. My dad left us when I was five. And then some men came and went from our family over the next two years who sexually molested my sister and I. 
And you know, that just further underscored that feeling of not being worth very much. I thought this, this must be my identity. I don't remember a time when I didn't think about being a mom, but about probably 30s, 40s, I thought I have so sabotaged the shot at being a mom because I was just really, really attracted to abusive men. By the time I got relatively healthy, I thought, well, my ovaries are raisins now. I always wanted to adopt a kid that nobody else was standing in line for. I actually talked to some friends about it, and one of the girls I actually knew from church, and she said, Lisa, I don't think it's a good idea for you to become a mom. You know, you told us you were molested when you were younger. But I know you've been to counseling and stuff, but just in case you weren't fixed, you might unwittingly transfer the trauma you experienced as a kid onto a child. So she said, I think it'd be a much better idea for you to go to the Humane Society and adopt a dog because you're so good with pets. And you know, because of the places where I was broken when I was younger, that made sense to me. But it was seven more years after that that I was brave enough to stick my toe back in the adoption pond. I've had quite a few people tell me that I should not adopt because as a single woman, I'm kind of thwarting the best case scenario. And what I found out is we've got over 147 million orphans in the world as we know it today. And so many of them will never even make it past uh, infancy if somebody doesn't stand in the gap for them. So I made it really clear to the adoption agencies I was working with, you know, do not give me a kid who has a good shot at a mom and a dad. I personally believe that's the best case scenario. But there are millions of kids who are just languishing or literally dying. So I think the option of death in a third world orphanage or a fluffy single mom in Middle Tennessee, I think I'm the better option. My first adoption process, five days before I was supposed to bring the baby home, it fell through. I just thought, I don't know if I can peel myself up off the pavement after this. And it was only two weeks after that, I got a phone call from a friend who said, Lisa, I just came back from Haiti last night. While I was in Haiti, one of the moms in the village I was visiting died of AIDS, left behind a two and a half year old little girl who, her name is Missy. She has HIV, she has cholera, she has tuberculosis. And the doctors in Port-au-Prince have said she's probably gonna die in the next two months if somebody, really anybody, from a first world country doesn't uh, stand in the gap. She said, but would you be willing to pray about this? And I was like, nope. I said, I've been praying about this for 30 years, sign me up. Six weeks later, I landed in her village they put her in my arms, and she was tea-tiny because Missy was really malnourished. She was two and a half years old, and she looked up at me like, I don't like you. And, you know, I looked at her just grinning, and after maybe, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds of glaring at me, she reached up this tiny fist and grabbed my pinky finger. She could barely talk because her lungs were so filled from the tuberculosis. She grabbed my pinky, and she went, Allo, Mama Blanc, and that means hello, white mama. Hold it, hold it with me. Ready? From the very beginning, it? it was just some crazy supernatural thing where literally the topography of my heart changed. I mean, from the beginning, I was like, okay, this is going to be really, really hard. It was very hard seeing how sick she was and not being able to manage that, not being able to control whether or not she was given her meds or not. The hardest part was I had to move her from her village to an orphanage, and the nannies there thought if they touched 
somebody with HIV, that they would get HIV, it would transmit to AIDS and they would die. I went to visit her and when I got there, I couldn't find her and I panicked. And then I looked and she was in the corner of the orphanage, just sitting in the corner, actually in the basement of the orphanage, on the floor, staring at the cement, only wearing a diaper, even though she was potty trained by then, had been potty trained for a long time. And when I ran to her, I squatted down in front of her and I was like, baby, mama's here. Mama's here. And it took a while for her to look up. And she didn't say anything. She just went. And I picked her up. And maybe an hour or two after that is when I found out that she had not been held in four months. You know, she's gained 30 pounds since I brought her home from Haiti and I've gained 35. <laughs> but still, every time my eight-year-old lifts her arms, I pick her up because I never want her to know that feeling of, of people not wanting to touch her, thinking she's contagious. And so, you know, if I have to carry her to college in a Snuggie, so be it. <laughs> <laughs> what a story. What a story. The video goes on a little bit more, and, and she says what Missy needed was love and was medicine. But what she found, what Lisa Harper found, was healing. To healing as God healed her abusive childhood as God allowed her to love her daughter. And in loving her daughter unconditionally, God loved her right back. May we do the same. May that kind of redemption go viral in our world today. As we love everyone and in the process, God can love us and will love us right back. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we give you thanks because we know better than anybody else how much we screw up and how much we sin. And God, sometimes we worry that that makes you not want to love us. But we give you thanks for the message of Jesus, that that love is unconditional, that that love is never ending. Help us, oh God, to grab hold of it Help us to embrace it and believe it, that we might make the world a different place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it is amazing grace, isn't it? And the world needs to know that kind of love. That's why Jesus came and lived among us and died and rose again, that all of us might know God's amazing, amazing love. I hope you know it. And I invite you now to go out and share it with others. Have a great week.